0: What is up team? Welcome back to the show today. I am joined by coach Andrea for another Q and a Andrea. Thank you as always for being here. How is your week going so far?
1: My week is going really well. I think it must be like a really boring week. As soon as you started talking, I knew that this was going to be the question. I was trying to think like, what has happened this week? And it's really been nothing. (laughs) Training's going well. Nutrition side of things is going well, but nothing has changed at all. So just a regular boring week how about you
0: fair enough yeah um more of the same over here uh, like we were talking about our team call right before this i just got a walking pad for under my desk which i'm stoked about except for i feel super like seasick right now like, very <laughs> nauseous so well i think that is going to take some time to get used to but i already have eight thousand steps so i am very stoked about that but yeah it's been a pretty pretty standard week over here as well. Um, with my own training still, of course, doing chest and bicep specialization. Um, and we're at a point now where I think we're going to starting to really like feel some fatigue. I noticed like this last week, I'm still progressing very well within my training, but just like feel I was dragging a lot more going into my sessions. Um, elbows are feeling a little bit more achy as well. So within that, I think we're going to push my training for one more week and then probably deload and Brandon also like this final week, um, because we've been at, I follow like, a uh, start at three RIR descend to two RIR one to two RIR, et cetera, across weeks. And then once we get to zero RIR, um, like at all movements are at zero RIR or zero reps in reserve. And then like, we kind of just stay there until I think, till we think we need to deload. So I'll be about to start my like third week of zero RIR, as well, which really, again, like with the chest and the biceps, isn't as brutal as you would think, but um, definitely starting to feel like I need a deload there as well. But yeah, past so you like uh, seven,
1: eight weeks in at total.
0: So yeah, I think that I'm about to wrap up week seven, and I will be at week eight. It looks like we'll do week eight and then probably deload. Okay. Um, on average, how long would you say your clients' muscle cycles typically are?
1: most people are training four days per week they will deload probably every 10 to 12 weeks yeah people who train three days per week are really rarely ever deload like something will just inevitably come up where like they're taking a trip or something and they'll have a little lighter volume but really with three days per week it, it hardly ever comes up where they actually need it um four days per week it eventually will Um, and, and sometimes that's from, like you said, some fatigue, some little aches or something. And then sometimes it's just like, yeah, we're just kind of done progressing on this. And so we're going to shift. And I use a lot more intro weeks than I do actual deload weeks. So it's the same concept. You're reducing fatigue and reducing volume, but it's starting new movements instead of deloading with the previous movements.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I do pretty similar. If a client's really, if it's like we hit a hard wall and more than anything, I'd like judge it on their mental state, right? If it's like a client still seems to be like fine mentally, they're still in a good mood. They're still excited to train, but they're just dragging a bit in their training. Or really, it seems like we're actually stalled out. That's typically when I'll go, okay, we're going to do an intro week. But if it's like, I can just tell like their mood is in a very bad place. They've been pushing extremely hard motivation is to the floor then oftentimes i like to take a full like deload where we'll hey we're gonna cut volume in half we're gonna drop everything to like half the reps that you did on your first set last week and about 90 percent of the load but yeah i take a pretty similar approach there and i see the same thing like most mesocycles i think can run like before we need to deload um or like t- take on an intro week for somebody training four days a week, typically it'll be like anything between eight and 12 weeks. I used to only do like four weeks and then I'd always deload every fifth week, which I've now realized, and that was years ago. But like, since then it's like, man, we were wasting so much time deloading when we just really didn't need to be deloading yet. And it's funny how much all that changes.
1: Yeah. I did the same thing for my own training. Every fourth week was deload. So three weeks training, one week deload. Now I have to in like nine months, but I'm also not working zero R RAR on anything.
0: <laughs> you don't need to deload from that three, four RAR. Cool. No. All right. Let's get into some questions. Uh, first one I have for you is how do you determine how long to cut for? Can you wreck your metabolism if you cut for too long?
1: So I'll, I'll answer the second part first. Can you wreck your metabolism from dieting too long? I think that being very picky with the wording, you can't wreck your metabolism, but your metabolism is going to adapt like it's supposed to. So it's not that anything's broken. That's just how your body is meant to work. So, um, eventually like with calories, um, set at a deficit, um, at some point your body just makes adaptations to where that is no longer as big of a deficit or a deficit anymore. So like you'll, you'll experience like your movement is lower so you're just moving around less pacing less you don't go anymore like you're just sitting more often or leaning instead of standing and all of those things decrease the amount of calories that you're burning in a day and then you'll also over time you experience things like um like if you're if you've been dieting hard for a while your your stress is because of that and that can have an impact on things like your T3 and so now instead of the usable form of thyroid hormone now you are uh, making reverse T3 so it's unusable your that further slows your metabolism down so you have a lot of adaptations that your body goes through to slow your metabolism and so you will end up either not losing nearly as much weight or not just like completely stall but it doesn't mean your metabolism is wrecked it's just adapting like it's supposed to all
0: right so as you were saying uh converts to reverse t3 um due to stress being high metabolism can't slow down so from there anything else we need to consider with like can you quote unquote wreck your metabolism
1: Um, just, just that, that is what your body is designed to do. It's just adapting as you reduce calories. Um, and then can you repeat the first part of the question again?
0: Um, how do you determine how long to cut for?
1: All right. Okay. So, um, the, so the, where I was going with that before is, um, one of the the biggest things with dieting for too long, isn't necessarily that you experience like crazy metabolic adaptation, but that it gets really difficult to adhere when you've been dieting for a really long time. So um, we'll use things like diet breaks and, and refeeds and things like that for um, adherence sake and for the phys- physical side as well. But um, beyond that, like at some point it just gets really hard to diet for an open ended amount of time. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, just having a shorter amount of time that you're dieting for that reason alone is, is huge. So how do you know when to cut the diet short, um, or, or when to like how long to diet? Um, it depends on those two things. So like at some point you're probably going to, uh, have, uh, your, your progress slow down and it's time to reduce calories, but if you've done that a time or two and it gets to the point where like calories are so low that this is just not worth it to you anymore, or, um, you have like major diet fatigue, then at that point, it's probably a good time to call it and go through a maintenance phase. Um, another reason to, to end the diet is just like, you've hit your goal. Like you got as lean as you want. And now, um, you can, you can reverse diet down and get back to maintenance. So, um, those are kind of the, the major reasons that all end the diet phase. But, um, outside of that, like really you, you can kind of set it up a little bit at the beginning of a diet and frame it for how long you want to go. And, and that's always very flexible. Like whenever we're laying out a plan for somebody's diet, we'll, we'll go, okay, this is about how much you're keen to lose. Um, or a lot of times people don't really even have a good idea of how much they want to lose. They're just like, yeah, I just know that i want to get leaner but i don't know how far away i am from my goal so um we'll kind of set up a rough timeline and and typically with that i'll say like 20 to 25 weeks is about the longest i'll want to go with somebody before we take a maintenance phase and within that we'll have breaks diet breaks and things we're not just going all the way straight through but about that time it just gets like it feels like it drags on it's a very long time to diet
0: yeah yeah absolutely this is an interesting one because a lot of people have put out there like these specific paradigms with, like, hey, we should only diet for 12 weeks and then we need to take like the same amount of time, if not more time, away from the diet. And it's, I think that I understand the intention behind it, but people misinterpret it. Like, I posted a lot of like client transformations and people are, I've had people comment like, what? They dieted for longer than 12 weeks? That's terrible for you. It's like, I mean, this is very, very context dependent. Where, as you said, we're not just going to break your metabolism. Um, it's going to be very dependent on a couple factors. Like first, how lean is someone when they start dieting? I, I want to avoid like repeating what you said here, but just like add a couple thoughts. When it comes to, again, like first, can you wreck your metabolism if you cut for too long? Again, like the wording is very important there. You're not going to like break it but like the amount of down regulation or detriment we see to your metabolic rate is also going to be dependent on how lean someone is when they start dieting and how lean they're trying to give. So for example, like an obese person losing a good amount of body fat, they might diet for shit, six, eight months. And across that entire time period, see a significant improvement in their health markers, see like better thyroid markers and things of that nature. Right? So your starting point is very important. Whereas a very lean person or a relatively lean person trying to get to like an extremely lean condition or somebody dieting on extremely low calories, they probably would see down regulation. But again, uh, metabolism, the thing to understand is like the goal of dieting is to create essentially a smaller body in some way, shape or form, right? Be it less body fat, be it less body weight. So your metabolism is largely gonna be a product of your body size. So your metabolism should be to an extent quote unquote, slowing down or down regulating as you're getting smaller, because we have a smaller body. Thus, it takes fewer calories to sustain that body, both at rest and when we're moving that body. So to an extent, like we should be experiencing your metabolism, like quote unquote, slowing down because your body just like, as you, as if a diet is going successfully, because your body just needs fewer calories to sustain. Um, now from there, as far as like the length of diets and like how we know, like how long someone should diet um, this can be pretty problematic. As you said, when you're in, in this place where you're like a lean person already trying to get leaner, but diet fatigue is pretty high. Right. And I think that's like the ability to adhere to the diet because there will be a lot of individuals who are in this place where like, Hey, I'm relatively lean and, but I've been trying to diet with for like six to eight months straight and I'm not shredded yet. Right. Whereas if somebody was truly like adhering to a diet and in a decent sized calorie deficit, they had already started from a relatively lean point after like eight months, that person would be extremely, extremely lean. Right. And would be the point where, hey, we probably, like physically, we can see it's probably not healthy for you to continue dieting. Right. But a lot of people are in this place where, hey, I feel like I've been dieting for again, like shit, a year plus. But I'm still not seeing myself get leaner. Now, a lot of times well, that's just a product of, as like you said, that diet fatigue where it's not that your metabolism is broken or so down-regulated that you can't continue to lose. But you are in this place where psychologically you're just burnt out on dieting. So um, we start letting like more little things slip through the cracks within what we're eating in the day-to-day. And a lot of times this turns into like, hey, maybe five days a week I'm very consistent with my diet. Two days of the week, I kind of go off the rails entirely and undo the progress I did for those five days. But then we are in this place where because through the majority of the week, your body is still in us like a calorie-deprived state, we are still going to experience some data regulation of things like your metabolic rate, um, production of sex hormones and that that nature, because again, we're consistently under eating throughout the week, but we're still not losing fat. So we can again like see some data regulation there. Um, and then also on a similar note again like we're not gonna be able to break your metabolism but if you are consistently eating a very low calorie intake for a long period of time it will also be harder to hit your micronutrient needs right so um if you're only eating like 1200 calories for example or 1400 calories it could be hard to get in all the micronutrients your body needs to best support your health so again be be that getting in adequate amounts of things like selenium zinc and things of that nature to really support your thyroid your your thyroid so then within that again that can lead to some, down regulations. Um, and then similarly, if we're constantly in a state of low energy availability, or if we're in this place of you are extremely lean, and this will depend on the person, but it's also we're also gonna typically see a down regulation in sex hormone production, and sometimes you can see like a menorrhea or a missing menstrual cycle, as your body basically senses there's not enough energy coming in consistently to support you conceiving, right? So, like we can see it's not at all like a hey, dieting, like constant dieting definitely has detriments, but on the flip side, it's, I don't want people to think that like, Hey, because you've been in this, maybe you've been in this place where like you resonate with what I, what I talked about there, where it's like, Hey, five to seven, five out of seven days, I'm like in a very large deficit, I'm eating very low calories, then undoing that all in like two days per week, it's not at all like you didn't break your metabolism. There, it may be beneficial to like rather than trying to like continue to diet. You're probably just mentally burnt out from dieting as much as anything else. So it probably would be beneficial to actually take some time away from trying to push for fat loss. Focus on giving your body everything it needs to be best fueled. Be that adequate protein, adequate carbs. um, Focus on the micronutrition as well. Eating plenty of nutrient dense foods. Using an app like chronometer is very, very helpful here also, because it'll give you a little bit more insight into your micronutrients Um, and just focusing on fueling yourself on a consistent basis and hanging out at maintenance. And you'll start to see like as much as anything that psychological fatigue will dissipate. If you're at a place where, again, you're better supporting, giving your body more of what it needs from like a health perspective, you may be see again, like, hey, fat loss might be a little bit easier, but as much as anything else, just like taking some time away from the diet typically allows us to adhere to the diet better in the future. Um, but again, the thing is there, like, you're not going to break your metabolism per se. It's like, once we give it these things, it needs, um, like it, your metabolism is very adaptive. It upregulates and downregulates again, based on your body size, based on your daily movement and based on your food intake. Um, but again, on that token, I don't want people to think I'm just saying like, we should diet 24, seven, 365 most people will get much better results. We'll have much better health and we'll just have a much better life as a whole. If we really try to spend as much time as we can away from the diet and be strategic on when we are dieting, like kind of just get, get in, get out. And again, this will vary from person to person. Like some people will do better with a shorter, more aggressive diet. Some people will find that hard to adhere to and will do better with a less aggressive diet, but yeah, um, kind of a messy combination of thoughts there. Do you have anything else to add there?
1: No, I don't. The next question kind of goes right along with that though. Uh, How and when do you schedule diet breaks? Do you schedule them from the start?
0: Yeah. So um, I've gotten more flexible with this as time goes on. Um, I do like to still have like a timeline, a rough timeline laid out for clients, but more and more I emphasize like, hey, I'm not a fortune teller. This is by no means set in stone. This is just my best estimation of how the process will go. And I will like to, like any diet that I lay out, I always like to include, let's say we have like a 20 week. Hey, I estimate it's going to take you about 20 weeks of total dieting to get to your goal. I'm going to include at least three to four weeks in there as kind of, uh, maybe closer to two to three weeks in there. as kind of buffer weeks where the reality is things rarely go exactly as planned. And then also I want to add it, like have plenty of time to like, if we do start to see diet fatigue creep up we can like work a diet break in. So I'll, I'll probably roughly plan, Hey, if we're, this is a 20 week diet around, around week 10 to week 11, we're probably going to plan on you taking a diet break. But again, that isn't set in stone because on the flip side, if we're in a place where you are rolling, you're just cruising. When week 10 comes along, you're feeling great by a few bags, a good place. I don't, there's no reason for me to just suddenly stop your progress to take a diet break, right? Like more and more, we're seeing the benefits of diet breaks seem to mostly be psychological rather than physiological. So the client is in a good place, they're cruising. We probably aren't going to implement a diet break, like just because I had that marked out at week 10. Similarly, if it's like, hey, they get through the whole 20 weeks, they get their end goal sooner than we expected, they felt great the entire time, and they just were able to just grind it out, that's perfectly fine, right? There's nothing wrong with us not taking a diet break there. Now, that's not how it goes for most people. <laughs> really, what we see for most people is somewhere around the eight to 16 week mark. And I would say for most people, it's closer to about eight to 12 weeks. They start to really experience a little bit more of what we call diet fatigue, which we've referenced already, or a little bit more, just think diet burnout, right? You're in this place where you've been dieting for a long period of time. And typically like we'll start to see this in their biofeedback where suddenly there will be a week where all of a sudden we'll see the client's hunger and cravings ratings shoot up within their biofeedback, we'll typically see motivation drop. And all of a sudden we'll see like, man, you were crushing it. We were adhering so well to the diet for the last nine, 10 weeks. And suddenly adherence just wasn't there. And again, we see all these other metrics, like the motivation, the cravings, the hunger are in a much worse place. Typically, those are the signs that I'm looking for That Hey, it's probably time for us to take a diet break. Let's spend one to two weeks here and then get back to the diet. Because then what we'll see is Um, the one psychological bit, or uh, we talked about this on Bill Campbell's podcast, but, uh, the podcast that I, my interview with him, I don't know why I'm having such trouble putting that into words, but he really talked about how one thing they saw was disinhibition, such a hard word to remember. Um, basically it was easier to stick to the diet after taking a diet break. I'm trying to remember if this is inhibition inhibition anyways, um, it was easier to stick to the diet after taking a diet break, right? Cravings were reduced and as a whole, it was just easier to follow through. And we see that very consistently where like, once people hit that mark, typically where it's like, I mean, I was cruising, I was going, things were going very well. Suddenly motivation dips. I had this off week. People typically want to know I'm good. I'm going to get right back to it. Next week will be better. And every time I, as a, as a coach, I've gone along with that rather than like, Hey, no, I think we need to take a diet break here. Almost always what happens is the next week yields more of the same. And then it's kind of like, Hey, there's been two weeks where we've like, haven't made much progress and then people can just start to get down on themselves. So typically at that point, I like to be pretty proactive about um, incorporating a diet break. Typically how I like to lay this out is, Hey, we're going to start, we're going to for sure take one week here, depending on how you're feeling, we'll probably go two weeks. But if you're feeling great after one week, we can hop right back into the diet And for that person, typically what I'll do is like, say we start that on Sunday or Monday, I'll check in Thursday, Friday. Hey, how are you feeling mentally? How's training going? Things of that nature. And that'll kind of dictate are we in a good place to hop back into the diet or do we need another week? And typically what I found is like 90% of the time, people are going to need two weeks to just feel mentally ready to get back to the diet. But then when they do, they're so much more adherent and better able to follow through. Right. So there's not, there's no like set in stone timeline again. I would say generally, eight to 16 weeks is a good rule of thumb. The other, the other side of that, like what I see, um, individuals who have more to lose again, this is also kind of relevant to like how much you have to lose. So individuals that have a larger amount to lose can typically diet for a little bit longer before they really start to experience the diet, uh, the diet fatigue, at least in my experience where a lot of times like think like someone who's pushing to lose like 50 plus pounds. A lot of times that person is able to fully diet like 20 to 25 weeks and really consistently just chip away before we really start to see like things become a little bit more of a grind. And typically in a situation like that, on the flip side, what I've seen is like the longer we push the diet, typically we'll also need to take a little bit longer diet break. So then that might be like, Hey, we push for five, six months. Okay. We're going to take an entire month here at maintenance. And again, I'll, I'll, typically lay this out like something like two weeks to a month, very similar to what I described before, but let's again, like kind of assess how you're feeling every week. And we're not going to push you back into this until you're fully ready to. And during this time, we're just going to focus on uh, really like maximizing your training performance, improving nutrient timing, making sure that we're just focusing on how strong you're feeling in the gym rather than like all this positive biofeedback we're experiencing rather than just seeing the scale go down. Um, But yeah, very long-winded answer. That's That's kind of how I base it. But again, like we don't have to take diet breaks. That said, I would say for 95% of my clients who diet, there is definitely a lot of utility for them. It's the rare person, unless it's like, you just need something like a quick mini cut. It's a rare person that's going to be able to just chug straight through the entire diet without taking some type of diet break. What are your thoughts on all that?
1: I fully agree. I've definitely gotten away from scheduling them ahead of time Uh, other than like very specific cases where it's like we're doing more of like a modified uh, matador style where we'll do two or three weeks on one or two weeks off Um, so outside of those like rare cases I do it exactly like you like we'll map out the fat loss phase and then um, I'll say, well, we'll probably take a diet break in here somewhere around this week and we'll just play it by ear because a lot of times it's like okay, a trip ends up coming up or um, somewhere within that month where I'm estimating we'll probably take a diet break. I'll say, hey, we'll probably need a diet break here in the next two or three weeks. Is there anything coming up that would make sense to pair this with? If not, we'll just kind of play it by ear, but definitely take one within the next two or three weeks. Um, If so, it makes sense to give you a lot of times it makes sense to give you more calories when that would be most helpful when it's going to be Mm -hmm. somewhat unrealistic to stick to the diet anyway. So that's kind of how I'll do it too.
0: Yeah, exactly. As I said, I like to just like add somewhere between two to four weeks to the diet timeline versus like what I think it would take if we were in fat loss the entire time. And then again, like as trips come up, as like unexpected events come up, then we're going to typically pair diet breaks and things like that around those times where no matter what, like it's probably going to be much harder for us to push for fat loss. So if we can give the client a little bit more flexibility, they can just do enough to maintain during that time, then it's going to kind of be a win-win. All right, next up, thoughts on counting net carbs.
1: I don't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> usually what will, yeah, what will happen typically with that is um, you're, you're starting to seek out those fiber added foods, like protein bars, those fiber wraps and things like mm. that. And then digestion is just a mess. Um, mm. But then also, Alongside that, the the reason that people will count net carbs is because um, the thought is that fiber doesn't absorb the same way other carbs do. And so you don't get the calories from that. But um, I I believe the actual figure is uh, somewhere between two and four um, calories per gram instead of the regular four calories per gram for every carb. Is that right or is it zero to two?
0: I think it's zero to two. It's dependent on what type of fiber it is.
1: Yeah. But, but you're, you're still getting calories from those. And and so it just, it adds complexity and it also like, isn't working the same way as most people think it is. I, I like that it encourages fiber, high fiber foods. Um, but even that can be taken too far to where you're just getting a lot of digestive distress that, that isn't necessary. Uh, what I prefer instead of counting net carbs is just count everything towards your carbohydrates. Um, your carb total for your, um, target is going to end up being higher because you're accounting also for the fiber. Um, so that's adjusted for, but then aim to get somewhere around 10 to 15 grams of fiber per 1000 calories that you're eating. And then within that aim to get most of that through, fruits, veggies, grains, like oatmeal and things like that. So that you're getting a mix of soluble and insoluble fiber, which is going to be best for digestion. And then you're also less likely to go overboard with it. If those are the kind of things that you're eating.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think just, it's so much simpler to, as you said, just have a higher carb total to aim for, even though you're still like eating technically the same amount, um, rather than like trying to work through the math of like, okay, well, in this sweet potato, there's this much fiber, so thus, um, I can actually de, de-, de- like pull out this many carbs. Just track, just set a higher carb roll. You're still eating the same amount, and it just makes your life so much simpler. <clears throat> um, also, as you reference again, the idea is that fiber is absorbed differently, so thus the caloric and not as much of it is absorbed. Much of it just passes through a digestive tract. So thus, um. The carbs that are fibrous carbs, like fiber, shouldn't actually count as calories. But that's not like the net carb calculations aren't always one hundred percent accurate. So, some fibers are actually going to be completely indigestible, and they'll basically be zero calories. Whereas some fibers, so like uh, gums and pectins, things you often find in processed foods, are going to be partially di- digestible. So, as you said, they are still there are still going to be some calories there. So it's not completely accurate. And also, as you said the foods that market net carbs so thus it's like hey this protein bar is actually like 160 calories instead of 200 calories because if we look at like we don't count the calories in the xanthan gum which isn't as I just mentioned isn't actually accurate there are still going to be some calories digested and absorbed there um but also those foods like when we start to chase a lot of those foods they still typically are relatively calorie dense um but it's kind of like almost the health halo effect where like people look at like, okay, well, this food's low net carbs, so it must be a good option. But still disregard the fact that, like, hey, this protein bar has 20 grams of fat in it, and like there's still like 20 plus grams of carbs, and I'm only getting like 15 grams of protein. So it's actually still a pretty just source of protein. A lot of times, just like seeing the net carbs can like kind of mislead people to think that it is um a better option than it is. And as you said again. Working in a lot of foods that advertise low net carbs often will have, again, a lot of things like xanthan gum and typically will leave people's digestion pretty fucked if they incorporate too much of it. Um, So yeah, I think it essentially just makes things way more complicated for not much benefit. And I would just count your total carbs and plan on eating slightly higher carb total. Anything else out there? Yeah.
1: I I just actually hate that a lot of companies will use the total net carbs on a package because it's just it's so confusing. You look at the calories first before you look at mm-hmm. the macros and it's like, oh, this is like, how is this so low calorie? But then it's like because they just added a whole bunch of fiber to bring down the total net carbs. It's just annoying. And I feel like it it really confuses people because if of. you put one of those. Yeah. When you put one of those into your uh, food tracking app, then the total calories end up off from where they should be is just confusing i don't like it
0: cool uh
1: next question would you ever consider a group training program and what would that look like just for the fun of fantasizing about this
0: um as of now no um i'm not saying next question (laughs) i'm not saying it's something we won't do in the future but our focus is very much on -on one-on-one coaching and making sure we can provide the best possible one-on-one coaching service in the space, and I feel like until we have mastered that, uh, and I until there's like truly nothing else we can do more of or do better, or there's nowhere else we can possibly improve. I think it's very much like it's so easy to get focused on all these different things, all these different avenues and kind of become a jack of all trades, master of none. I'm so proud of our team. And I think we provide an incredible experience in all of our for all of our clients. But I know we all want to keep getting better as coaches and we want to keep growing. I don't think any of us feel like we've arrived yet. So I wouldn't want to put our focus on anything else outside of that as of now. Um it's not something that I'm opposed to in the future, but it's definitely not anything that's in the pipeline right now. Do you have anything else to add there?
1: Mm, yeah, not really. I, I think that um, it, it also kind of blurs the lines. Like I think that we might have people who currently sign up for nutrition and training and make really great progress and really need that tailored training program to them where they might just see, oh, this is a cheaper way of going. And so let's do that instead. And it's not as good of a service and it's not as good of a product because it's not specifically for them. So yeah.
0: yeah, it's an interesting thing because I think a lot of people, well, people think that nutrition needs to be very individualized. I think a lot of people underestimate how much of a difference your training to really being individualized is like how much of a difference that makes. And that's such a big part of like, why all of our clients do so well is the depth that we actually go into within training. And I don't, I don't really know anyone else in the industry that like goes to the depth we go to within training, where it's very much like we're looking, we're actually looking at, um, actually, uh, who was I talking? Oh yeah. It was Jack Hallows. We were talking about kind of doing the same thing within, uh, training as well. And, um, I I of course think Brandon does a great job with this as well. My coach personally, but like not very many people, even like if you're working with a coach one on one, it's generally just like a hey, here's your four week program, here's your A week program, right? And like, give me some general feedback on this. But like, genuinely, we're in there looking at how are you progressing within your logbook each week, right? How are each of these movements progressing? Do we need to challenge you to push a little bit more here? What's the stimulus we're getting from this movement like, right? Uh, depending on the client and like making sure it's not overwhelming. Are you getting a good pump from each of these movements? Are you getting a good disruption or like what we'd expect relative to each of those metrics? What's your technique like within each of this? Does it look like, Hey, the last two weeks you've been pretty stagnant here. And I think you might be sandbagging it. So I'm going to challenge you this week. We're going to do like a set to zero to one RIR. And I want you to record a video of that and drop me that. Right. Or again, based on all this, have we really nailed down the execution and the effort of this movement, but we're still really just not getting the stimulus we want. And again, based on the way you're built, this might, we might just get a better result by plugging in a different movement here, right? Whereas those things are left off the table when it comes to group programming. Um, I just don't think we could do it as well. So as of now, I don't think it's any, and again, I think people underestimate like, that's such a big part of why our clients do so well. So as of now, yeah, it's nothing that I have plans to do in the near future. Cool. Next up I have for you, how to minimize muscle loss post-surgery and not gain too much fat.
1: Mm, Do you know what type of surgery?
0: I don't, I should ask that.
1: Okay. Um, So I, I think it's, it's dependent a lot on the surgery. If you're having So I I have had a hernia repair surgery before, and that just makes it hard to move at all because your core is involved in everything. Um, With something like that, you really just have to find like what are the most stable movements and do what you can. Um, Even, I mean, even in like a very stable machine, like a leg extension or something like that, it's just a situation where you can't do a whole lot Um, with let's say like a knee what did you say? Something
0: no, I was just agreeing.
1: Oh, uh, w- with like a knee, you could easily continue all your upper body training. You could do the leg that wasn't, um, th- that didn't have surgery on it, and there's going to be some carryover there, um, to allow you to keep some muscle. Um, but but really, like with whatever train with whatever surgery it was. There's, there are probably ways that you can work around it and still get in some volume for some part of your body. One of the biggest things with making, making sure you're maintaining muscle is eating enough and eating enough protein. So this isn't a time that I would be in a calorie deficit. You definitely want maintenance calories in order to like be able to fully heal, uh, maintenance calories may, might not be quite as high as they were before if you're lot, a lot less mobile, but um, finding where your maintenance calories are is going to be really helpful. And then just making sure that you're you're eating enough so that you're able to heal faster and so that you're in calorie balance and not in more of a catabolic state than you need to be. Then eating enough protein is also going to be really helpful for repair and recovery, but it's also going to make sure that you're getting the amino acids that your body needs in order to not lose any more muscle than you need to. Um, For most surgeries, I would say that the recovery time is probably not going to be so long that you're just going to be like losing all kinds of muscle. That's not going to come right back. Once you start training again, typically you're, you've got muscle memory. Once you start training again and get a little bit of a pump and you have some carbs in your system and all of that, um, that muscle memory is real. And that will come right back within the first probably couple months. You'll feel just like you did before. Um, as far as muscle mass, I don't know, depending on the surgery, you might not, to feel totally how you did before. Like I know like ACL, uh, repairs and stuff like that, that tends to take a little bit for, um, like your, your quad to fully, fully feel like you can contract it just as well and things like that. But, but your muscle mass tends to come back on pretty quickly if you do all of those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's a scary thing to be in this position, especially like if you have just within the last couple of years kind of started your fitness journey and you haven't gone through something like this before. I know like when I hurt my shoulder, it was same feeling where it's like, shit, all my hard work is gone. Like, and I'm gonna, it took me seven years to get here. It's gonna take me another seven years to get back to where I was. And that's really not the case, right? Like, as you said, muscle memory is a very real thing. Your muscle will come back. Like if you do. Once you get back to being able to train normally, muscle will come back within the matter of a couple months. It's just going to be so. Don't don't stress that side of it too much. And then the not gaining too much fat part, as long as you're just continue to monitor your body weight, try to eat right around maintenance calories, and just keep your keep your nutrition in check. Like that that part should be very easy, right? You're not just it's not just because like we're not going to because we got injured suddenly put on a lot of fat. If it causes you to be more sedentary, again, just regulate your body weight regulate your calories and understand like you might have to eat a little bit less to maintain than you did before, but that's still very, very much under your control. Um, then if you realistically can, I would try to, and again, this is going to depend on what the injury is, but I would try to keep your knee levels high. So get in plenty of daily steps, uh, low intensity activity there. And then as you said, like depending on your doctor's orders, this is of course not medical advice, but train, um, do what you can as far as training, I um, and even like, there's interesting research that shows like, Hey, if I hurt my left arm and I can't use that, but I continue to train my right arm, I'll maintain more muscle tissue on my left arm. So super interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that is all I have. Anything else to add there?
1: I, I think that any mom can relate on this because like after giving birth, you have to take some time off and it's more of it's, I mean, with that, it's a little bit different because like your, your core has been all stretched out and everything, but you've it's more of like a subjective, just feeling soft, kind of a feeling like your muscle feels like it's, it's all gone it all away. <laughs> you just feel more soft and squishy. Like, like everything, like all of your muscle has gone away and it's never going to come back. But then like, once you start training, it comes back really quickly. It's going to be the same thing with any, any surgery or injury that you've got.
0: Having a baby Next. is crazy. Also, um, I was just <laughs> yeah. thinking of, it's truly so wild that your stomach can like stretch that much has been super cool. One of my longtime clients, shout out to Jenna. Um, I think we started working together in 2019, but we've gone through the whole process of like, she started coaching with me because her sister was coaching with me and I'd done extremely well. Um, we went through like this whole weight loss journey. She got engaged. She got married. Um, now she's pregnant. We've like worked through an entire pregnancy and now she's like, a, a gonna, she's uh, what, I think like halfway through her third trimester now. So we're getting pretty close. It's been, it's just like, That's all, I don't know why to me, that's always a crazy process, but it's also crazy that your body can adapt to like, that your stomach can hold (laughs) that. Anyways, (laughs) what do you have next?
1: (laughs) Uh, Okay. Next one is transition slowly from bulk to cut or just rip the bandaid off and take out all the calories at once.
0: Um, I personally would probably just rip the bandaid off. I don't think there's a need to transition slowly. I mean, you're going to have to get, I wouldn't like go into an unnecessarily large deficit, but I would try to get like, if your goal is fat loss, um, and the bulk has ran its course, like you're not really, uh, unless you don't mentally feel ready to diet yet, which there could be an argument for like, Hey, if you just mentally, I don't feel like a good place to diet yet maybe I want to take a couple of weeks to get into like spend a couple of weeks of maintenance and then work calories down from there and I will sometimes I'll typically what I'll do with clients is like especially clients that are very adaptive so I think of like my client Phil shout out to Phil um another great what I think we're like at our 2 year mark now but um Phil is someone who his adapt his metabolism is very adaptive so when we're building what he is like Low 170s to 160s right now. We're in a fat loss phase. He's he's at 160 now actually. But um, when we're building, his calories are super high. Like he's eating 4,000 plus calories on a pretty consistent basis. And again, like he's has a good amount of muscle tissue, but it's a it's a lot of food for him. Um, with that said, when we cut, it's like when we go into fat loss, we're cutting him to like 2,200, right? So that's almost like a 2,000 calorie slash right away. So typically, like in a case like that. For him, what I'll do is like, hey, we've been bulking. Let's take one week at maintenance. So, hey, maybe we drop this down to 3,000 and then we're going to drop it down to 2,000, right? To just kind of ease into that. But I wouldn't spend too much longer than that. Um, yeah, past that though, I don't I don't think there's really a need to... I think for most people, it's like, let's not waste time. Let's just rip the mandate off. you have any other thoughts yeah. there?
1: That's exactly what I was thinking. If somebody has very high calories, and this is mostly going to be men who have very adaptive metabolisms. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of situation where I would take a week or so at maintenance. But otherwise, like m- most women, even if they're adaptive, like their, their calories aren't going to their spread between building and cutting isn't going to be so crazy right. that just rip the bandaid off
0: right if it's that'll more typically be something like hey maybe we're cutting calories like 600 whereas and i think that's still a lot more digestible than i i think a trans it can be pretty harsh to like try to transition in a week from like cutting two thousand calories per day out of your diet so i guess it's kind of context dependent do you, do you have any i could questions? see
1: the i could oh, i have one more yeah i i could see the utility and maybe like drop to drop to maintenance let that uh, water weight and bloat come down and see where the true baseline is. But either way, two or three weeks down the road, you're going to be in the exact same place. Yeah. You're going to drop that water weight and bloat anyway. But I mean, maybe just like for data's sake, you could do that. But yeah, we typically yeah. will just. For just... most people,
0: I would, I'm of the mindset if I would rather. And again, this will depend on the person, right. And like what they can adhere to. So if it's someone I, I identify with, like, Hey, they don't do well with us being aggressive and they very much need calories to be like it like us like slashing calories too quickly is something that's very challenging for them i wouldn't do this but for most people i'm typically of the mindset of like especially like that case where it's like yeah we could kind of postpone this week or we could be a week ahead if we like didn't worry about like hey let's see where things are at like once the blow settles down because no matter what like i don't know if that's i don't think i would take that approach very often
1: Yeah. All right. Last question is how long after workout should I eat my post-workout meal?
0: Um, I like the rule of thumb of, we just want to try to keep it to about five hours or less between your pre and post-workout meal. So if this is also going to be dependent on like, what's your pre-workout meal look like? So if you're training fasted, which we talked about this last episode, pretty in depth, I wouldn't recommend training fasted if you want to optimize muscle growth, but if you are training fasted, I think that 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 pre-workout or that Mm post-workout meal needs to be a little bit more of a priority. Um, So there I would aim for realistically, like once you've taken some time to calm down, if you like cram it down immediately after your training session, when your body is still in a sympathetic state, um, it'll actually be a little bit harder to digest. Whereas if we give our body a little bit of time to calm down and get in a more parasympathetic state or rest and digest state again, we'll be able to better digest and absorb those nutrients. So in that case, like it would probably be a head aim for about 30 to 60 minutes. It's again, not like you're, it's not bullseye or bust, right? It's not like if we miss this 30 to 60 minute window, we're not going to make any gains, Um, but it would be slightly more optimal. That said again, like outside of that, if you ate a solid pre-workout meal, I would just try to keep like five hours or less between that pre and post-workout meal.
1: Yeah, this is actually one of my clients. Shout out to Tammy, um, and she asked this in an email, also, and that's exactly exactly the answer that I gave her. Um, Glad we're in alignment. One of her questions, yeah, one of the the aspects of her question was, should I drink a shake right afterward, or can I just wait until my lunch an hour and a half after my training session? And so I think that that's also an interesting or helpful thing to to talk through a little bit here because she's eating a pre-workout meal. She's not going in fasted. So given that she's keeping it between three and five hours between her pre-workout and post-workout meal, um, she also is in a deficit. So hunger is an issue if she's spreading her meals too thin. So if we just wait until lunch, she's probably going to be able to have a more substantial, more satisfying meal. So in that case, you can just wait hour, hour and a half afterwards and eat your typical meal. You don't have to like slam something right after you finish training.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Cool. Anything else to add there?
1: Nope.
0: All right, team. Well, that is all we have for all for this week. Um if you're enjoying the show, do us a huge favor, leave us a five star rating or review. This really just helps us expand the reach of the show and reach more listeners like you. Um if you would like to apply for coaching with our team, just hit the link in the show notes to do so and we will catch you guys next time.